At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And I've been getting recently, not a lot of messages, but a couple from the same squeaky wheels that want to get the oil, saying, stop saying Valdez with an S. Who cares? Google will correct us when we look for you. Stop being such a blah, blah, blah. To that I say... By the way, it's Valdez with an S. All right, so let's talk about the news. We've got the Federal Reserve uh, raising interest rates by a quarter point. I guess that's a favor that they've done to us because they'd risen by three quarters of a point last time. So potentially we have uh, reached the end of the road. I don't know if we have or we haven't, but that seems to be where we are. So that's interesting. Now, I want you to hear a little bit of uh, Chairman Powell, Jerome Powell from the Federal Reserve, uh, announcing that the central bank factored in these recent bank difficulties as it decided on its rate hike because it wasn't planning on it anyway, right? As if. Listen to this. Our banking system is sound and resilient with strong capital and liquidity. We will continue to closely monitor conditions in the banking system and are prepared to use all of our tools as needed to keep it safe and sound. Now, Powell wasn't done there yet. He says that uh, we are nearing or the Fed is nearing the end of its rate hikes, given possible impacts to the financial system from recent bank failures. So I, I interpret this. Well, let's let him talk. Then I'll tell you what I make out of it. Go right ahead. It is too soon to determine the extent of these effects and therefore too soon to tell how monetary policy should respond. As a result, we no longer state that we anticipate that ongoing rate increases will be appropriate to quell inflation. Instead, we now anticipate that some additional policy firming may be appropriate. All right. So, again, I, I hear that and I hear, well, you know, we've been raising interest rates, raising interest rates. A couple of banks have gone under. That doesn't look very good. So uh, maybe we're going to stop because we don't want to see any more banks go under. Now, I'm not saying there's a correlation between the two, but it sure sounds like that when he puts it that way. So that's uh, Chairman Jerome Powell from the Federal Reserve. Interest rates are up and they enacted this quarter point um, rate increase. Because, according to them, expressing caution about the recent banking crisis, as they're calling it, and indicating that these hikes are likely nearing an end. We'll see. Hopefully they do. Um, this is the ninth interest rate hike since March of 2022. So this has been going on for a year. And the Fed, who sets the rate, 
on uh, the Open Market Committee noted that future increases are not assured and will depend largely on incoming data. So more to come is what they're saying. And that stinks for anybody who's looking to buy some new property. At least in my opinion, it stinks. Um, and here's a quote uh, from an article in um, on CNBC.com. The committee will closely monitor incoming information and assess the implications for monetary policy. And that's uh, according to their post-meeting statement. Uh, continuing that the committee anticipates that some additional policy firming may be appropriate, as you heard the chairman just uh, say, in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time. So there you have that. Um, sounds like they're probably going to raise interest a little bit more uh, before they stop. At least that's my, uh, that's my assessment on this, right? Uh, but hopefully, it, you know, it'll be just another quarter point increase and not another three quarter point increase. And uh, hopefully that'll normalize things. We'll see. I don't know if it will or it won't, but it doesn't look good. Now, I want to uh, direct your attention to uh, what, what I heard one reporter today say was the biggest story on the planet. And that is uh, the story that doesn't seem to materialize, uh, the indictment of a potential possible indictment of former President Donald Trump. And Michael Cohen's attorney, you know, as we played the audio, Bob Costello, uh, he, he's written a letter to the Federal Election Committee. And uh, according to the, uh, the article on Justin News, it appears to be undercutting D.A. Bragg's case against Trump. And this is pretty interesting. So um, former President Trump shared the letter on Truth Social, declaring that it will be totally exculpatory. And that's interesting. That would be great. Uh, well, let's dig into this a little bit, shall we? Uh, this letter from an attorney representing former Trump lawyer Michael Cohen uh, attests that the disgraced ex-lawyer acted alone in making a payment to Stormy Daniels in 2016, potentially undercutting a key component of Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's case against the former president. In the 2018 letter, Cohen attorney Stephen Ryan states that the Federal Election Commission, uh, so it's two attorneys now, right? You got Stephen Ryan and Bob Costello that are saying Cohen doesn't know what's going on, um, asserting that Trump was not involved in making the, the, the um, cash settlement to uh, Stormy Daniels for a non-disclosure agreement for the for the situation that whatever she claimed and then she claimed it did not happen when she was under oath. And uh, Cohen did, in fact, make the payment and, and Trump did pay him back, you know, as an expense, but it wasn't something that he'd asked them to do. And this is, um, again, according to justthenews.com, they reached out to uh, Attorney Ryan on the authenticity of the email and um, looks like they got a response here. Let's see. Let me. I'm trying to scroll here. Bear with me. In a private transaction in 2016, before the presidential election, Cohen used his own personal funds to facilitate a payment of $130,000 to Ms. Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. Stormy Daniels, according to the letter. Neither the Trump organization nor the Trump campaign was a party to the transaction with Ms. Clifford. And neither reimbursed Mr. Cohen for the payment directly or indirectly. Former President Donald Trump shared the letter on Truth Social, declaring it to be totally exculpatory. So um, there's that copy of the letter. I'll share this on um, social media so you could take a look at it. And uh, it's interesting. And and here's a, a little bit of the uh, the quote from that. Uh, from this looks like the tweet or the post on Truth Social 
that President Trump put out a little while ago. It says, wow, look at what was just found, a letter from Cohen's lawyer to the Federal Reserve, to the Federal Election Commission. This is totally, I should probably do this in my Trump impression, right? This is totally exculpatory and must be the end of the Manhattan District Attorney's witch hunt immediately. Cohen admits that he did it himself. The DA should get on with prosecuting violent criminals so people can walk down the sidewalks of New York City without being murdered. That's uh, my impression of Donald Trump. Probably not a good one. I'm going to work on that because I know that there's a lot more nuance to that. Uh, but this, um, this, this whole thing stems from, from that whole thing. They, they're saying uh, there's an alleged falsification stemming from his listing of a payment to Cohen as a legal fee which some have suggested was a reimbursement for Cohen's payment to Stormy Daniels. Trump's lawyer, Joe Tacopina, denies the record's inaccuracy and has contended that the payments were made to a lawyer, not to Stormy Daniels. The payments were made to Donald Trump's lawyer, which would be considered legal fees. The letter from Ryan appears to lend some credence to Tacopina's interpretation. Uh, Cohen's uh, prominence in the case has presented a complication for the DA, uh, given his argument may largely rest on the testimony of the former lawyer whose credibility has already come under scrutiny given his legal record, meaning he's been convicted of lying and stealing. <laughs> so uh, not a good look. All right. So uh, that's according to Just the News. Anyway, straight ahead, we've got a lot to discuss tonight, lots of other topics in the news. We're going to talk about the economy, what's going on with Janet Yellen and uh, everything that she's uh, discussing. We heard a little bit from her yesterday. Plus, uh, we have um, what we just heard from Jerome Powell. We're going to get uh, a look at that from Alfredo Ortiz, president and CEO of the Job Creators Network. He's coming up next. Plus, we've got... Ian Pryor coming on later in the program to talk about how parents need to fight back. And, of course, we're going to wrap it all up a little bit later when we talk about the ban on TikTok. There was marches against this and everything. So don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So Secretary Janet Yellen, uh, she's um, yesterday we heard a little bit from her. Uh, with respect to um, what's going on with the current state of affairs in our country. Today, we heard from uh, Chairman of the Fed, Jerome Powell. And the question is, will her incompetence lead to the death of small banks and small businesses? This is bad news, in my opinion. We're in a bad situation with inflation. It seems to be, uh, again, according to them, it's getting better because they're raising it a quarter point instead of three quarters of a point. Uh, but we're not quite out of the woods. And I can tell you, the other day, I decided to put super in my car instead of regular. And when I looked, the price was so drastically different, five twenty-nine dollars a gallon. So I can tell you firsthand, here on the East Coast, we're not out of the woods. Our guest is the president and CEO of the Job Creators Network, Alfredo Ortiz. Welcome to the program, sir. Uh, thank you very much, Rich. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 
You bet. My pleasure. So I want to dig in a little bit uh, because I know that there's been a lot of talk about banking crisis and the economy slowing. And obviously we, we've seen uh, the continued slow of the economy. And I know early on I was very skeptical of how this would affect exactly what, you know, your organization's about job creation. I felt like this is going to be a job killing recession. And uh, and I'm sure it may continue to be. We're not going to see all of those effects right away with, you know, with this last quarter point hike. Uh, but what's your take on on what Powell did today and, and what Yellen said yesterday? Yeah, it's, and that's a great question. You know, in terms of what Powell did today, I, I really don't think he had much of a choice at this point. Um, you know, there's a lot of conversation. Does he do anything? Does he take it up half a point? I mean, quite frankly, if he didn't do anything, I think that would have sent the message that things are really so disastrous that mm-hmm. he wasn't going to do anything. Up. So that was the wrong message, right? He's given up. Uh, if he took it half a point, I think that would even stress out other banks as well. And we'd probably see, you know, other, uh, you know, other issues going on. I mean, you have right now also kind of, there's a little bit of a, what I call a mini fear contagion, I think amongst depositors of smaller regional community banks where they're fearful now. And, you know, there's, starting to pull out their deposits and they're taking it over to the big banks. And that obviously is very concerning because I'm sure everybody remembers it's a wonderful life. Uh, uh, you know, I've probably mm. seen it about a hundred times, but remember there was a run on the bank there just because on, on fear, uh, there was nothing really rational about it. It was just irrational fear. Um, and rational fears are not good for the banking system. Um, and so, um, you know, like I said, I think Jerome Powell, did what he had to do to, you know, send the message out. Um, and, and it was a very interesting statement too, that he made. I mean, this, uh, you, you know, in terms of what he's going to be looking at doing in the future, it wasn't like he basically says, we're going to take up a quarter of a point and we're going to stop. Uh, I mean, if you read between the lines, there is indication that he's probably going to take it up another quarter to a half point between mm-hmm. now and the end of the year, um, which I think is needed, uh, Rich, because, you know, inflation is still at 6%. Right. I mean, and this is what every economist what, what that comes on the show is. says, right? They all say we're going to have to keep doing it until we get inflation under control. Yet it seems like they try to paint it like we're nearing the end. And it seems like a mixed message when we're still paying a ton for, for groceries and energy and everything else. Yeah. And, and, and that's it. You know, I, quite frankly, we've been predicting, you know, for, for months now that this inflation is not going to be able to be controlled unless you went probably a couple points above the inflation rate, you know, about, you know, 8%. Um, right. So, you know, to really, really clamp down on, on, on inflation, because the problem is, is that if you don't, it can really rear its ugly head back up and, and, and catch us again. And so um, what we need to do is stop this ridiculous government spending. I mean, the American Rescue Plan, the $2 trillion that was not necessary as COVID-19 relief, right, that was spent mm-hmm. and went to the you know, the, the, the states and now it's being used for, you know, possibly reparations and all this other stuff. Right. All sorts of crazy um, things. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy things. That was $2 trillion. And then this supposed, you know, Inflation Reduction Act, which is, I think, another $800 billion. Uh, you know, I mean, these guys are, are literally throwing around money like it's monopoly money. And but the problem is it's not monopoly money. Um, it's real money chasing fewer goods and services, which drives drives up inflation. And so we need to cut this government spending. We need to cut this idea. And you look at the Biden proposed budget plan, where he's looking at you know almost five trillion dollars in new taxes, almost three trillion dollars in new spending. I mean, in ten years, it's expected to increase the deficit by seventeen trillion dollars. 
I mean, you know, I mean, we go back to Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't know why she still has a job. I mean, she started, mm. you know, saying this thing was, in, you know, temporary. It was, transitory. You know, transitory, right? I mean, she believes in this thing called modern monetary theory. Uh, which, you know, by the way, you know, uh, Senator Warren and Senator Sanders and AOC, you know, they all believe in, which is basically you can basically print as much money as you want to fund social programs. And it doesn't matter because deficits don't matter. And obviously which we know that this doesn't, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. It's the most ridiculous thing. And so, but, but this is the person at the head. I, again, I just don't understand why she has her job because really the incompetence of what's happened with this banking system today Really, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, but she was the one on watch. And, uh, you know, I come from the school that, you know, if you're the captain at, at the helm of something, you take you, you take responsibility and step aside. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, and, you know, what I find interesting is, and just to go back to your point, because I think this is a real fundamental divide. I think we, we kind of gloss over it and we poke fun at you know, I like to say AOC stands for all out crazy. And, and, and we, we, we have a good time with this, but the reality is they really do believe that their plan is better. And, and that somehow, you know, like AOC the other day, I wish I had the audio to play it, but she said, she said, you know, we really have to get past this idea of uh, where we ask every time we talk about a government program, how are we going to pay for that? We have to get rid of that. That's an old way of thinking. And I thought, how is that an old way of thinking? I mean, she's been consumed by the idea that we can just continue to tax and spend our way out of absolutely anything. And I think that's just a recipe for disaster that leads us down the road to surf them. No? Yeah, it, it, absolutely. Like I said, the whole reason we're in this mess right now with the Fed and, you know, four and a half, now four, four and three quarter, uh, you know, percentage rates increase in one year is because he was tackling Biden inflation, right? I mean, you can also blame, I think, Powell a little bit because he started, you know, kept rates uh, at zero for too long, and then he started raising them too late and then too fast, right? So, so there was mismanagement there, mismanagement on Yellen. I mean, it's just another example of complete, complete incompetence in the administration, in the cabinet. I mean, we can go down the list, you know, the energy secretary, the transportation secretary, I mean, you mean, look what's going down on the border. I mean, whenever it's easier to get fentanyl, uh, you know, on, on, on the streets than it is by baby formula in your grocery store, we've got a real problem in this country. Yeah. All right, folks. Our guest is Alfredo Ortiz, president and CEO of Job Creators Network. Uh, you can find them at Job. It's Job. Let me see. I don't want to give you the wrong thing. Job Creators USA on Twitter. And uh, we're going to continue this conversation straight ahead. I want to get um, uh, Alfredo Ortiz's take on on that, on job creation. I know that we were in a pretty good job situation, and I think that's why we're weathering some of the economy. And I know that wages have gone up, but they haven't really gone up uh, on par with the rate of inflation. So I want to talk about that when we come back from the break. I also want to give the listeners our phone number, 833 833- for Valdez, 833-4-Valdez. That is Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media if you want to chime in that way. And there is a lot more to come straight ahead. It's America at Night. Our guest, Alfredo Ortiz from the Job Creators Network. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. We'll be right back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. America. Welcome back. Rich Valdez. Our guest is Alfredo Ortiz, president and CEO of the Job Creators Network. Alfredo Ortiz, listen to this. So we had an initial round of layoffs at Amazon. I think it was 18,000. Then a secondary round of 9,000 jobs layoffs. Uh, Then we had Meta, Facebook, 10,000 jobs with layoff. You had um, 4,000 layoffs from Disney. And then today, the job website, Indeed, Indeed.com, is laying off 2,200 people. So it seems like, you know, whatever stability we had in the job market, at least, you know, from my point as a layman, uh, seems to be shaky. What say you? Uh, Absolutely, uh, Rich. I mean, this was also our concern that, uh, you know, from from our perspective, uh, you got to remember that this economy is two-thirds driven by the consumer. Um, and I don't know about you, but you know, when I walk around my neighborhood and I talk to people, you know, uh, at a restaurant anywhere, nobody feels great about this economy. Everybody feels shaky. Everybody sees what they're paying at the grocery store. I mean, you know, you walk into a grocery store and you're paying $7 for a loaf of bread. I mean, you're paying $5 for eggs You're paying, you know, $8 for a gallon of milk. I mean, it's out of control. Um, and people feel it. I mean, people are rationing. Uh, you know, their meals are not, but, you know, uh, you know, g- giving their families as big of portions, right. Which, you know, in my particular case might be a good for my ways, but you know, uh, <laughs> for most of America, I mean, it's, you know, p- people are really concerned and worried. And what happens is when you have an economy that's two thirds driven by the consumer and they're worried, they're going to start pulling back on that spending. And, you know, I love how Biden just twists the facts completely to his advantage, of course. So he talks about how, oh, look, spending is up, spending is up. Uh, well, you know, yes, spending is up, Rich, but you're getting less goods and services. That's For called sure. inflation, right? So, so it's, it's not a great thing that spending is up when you're, paying, when you're getting less. And so the consumer knows that. They're not stupid, right? And so I think all the gaslighting that the Biden administration has tried to do over the past two years, it's come to an end. And people are realizing it, and quite frankly, then, of course, these companies know it's not the way it used to be, right? And, and, and the, their costs are out of control. They have to pull back costs. And guess what? Labor starts going away, right? They start peeling off that labor. And so, um, you know, unfortunately, I, don't th- I think this is just the tip of the iceberg on the unemployment front. And we're going to see rising unemployment. And we're just going to have to uh, because, look, companies can't raise prices to infinity, uh, there's a point where consumers just are going to stop buying or they're going to start brashing just like they're starting to do right now. And so you're seeing, I think, all the effects now, quite frankly, again, going back to day one of the Biden administration that's caused this Biden inflation, which is really, really creating the chaos in the economy that we're seeing today. And like I said, I mean, you have Janet Yellen that's not helping the matters at all. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to keep on pounding on Janet Yellen because 
even if it's a, even if it's a one man campaign to get rid of her, because truly <laughs> Yellen is a left wing activist in economist clothing. She's got to go. Well, let's talk about that. I know that you um, you had a, an op ed recently in in um, in Fox uh, with respect to Janet Yellen. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, look, I mean, when, when you. All right. I, did we lose him? All right. Well, uh, I'll tell you a little about it myself since I think we lost uh, Alfredo. But that, that tends to happen every now and again, right? When you go after Janet Yellen, the deep state gets ready and uh, they, they start interfering. But that's just how it is. And the, the bottom line here is uh, it's better that he tells you than I tell you because I still have to look. I'm trying to pull it up on, online. But Alfredo Ortiz, you were telling us about your um, op-ed in Fox Business about the uh, evil left-wing Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry about that. We had a little technical difficulty yeah, that's there. Fine. Um, uh, but but yeah, in her recent testimony before the Senate, Rich, um, she really spoke out of both sides of her mouth. I mean, she claimed that inflation is the nation's number one economic priority, right? But at the same time, she's supporting Biden's proposed budget released last week that would actually just accelerate price increases because they're spending mm-hmm. trillions of dollars more. Right. And so, I, I, I mean, again, this kind of incompetence has got to go. I mean, we've got to have true leadership at the top. And unfortunately that entire cabinet, uh, quite frankly, we need a new cabinet. We need a new president, quite frankly, but, um, <laughs> 100%. You know, but, 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 but we really have an issue here because, um, the Fed's done as much as they can, I think. And they're just, like I said, they're probably taking another quarter, maybe half a point between now and the end of the year. But they really are going to be pretty limited because if they keep on doing this, there are other banks that probably did similar things in terms of taking longer exposure, uh, you know, on their maturities and the interest rates went up. So, you know, they're, they're on shakier ground here. Um, so they can't do much, much more there. So it really comes back to fiscal responsibility and pro-growth policies, which quite frankly, under the Trump administration, is exactly what we had. We had pro-growth policies, and by the way, especially with our small businesses, which, you know, we get, we have 33 million small businesses in this country. They mm-hmm. hire 60 plus million people, right? I mean, there's, we have a country that's truly dependent on the success or failure of small businesses. Our communities are dependent on it. And so without these small businesses, we don't have a country. And now I'm concerned that these small community banks, these regional banks, that are the lifeline and credit, you know, for, uh, of credit for these small businesses, they're going to go away. And quite frankly, it's this is Dodd Frank phase two. We lost two thousand community banks under Dodd Frank, uh, and mostly, by the way, in minority communities. So the very you know population that they claim to be helping, they're actually hurting. And now we're going to possibly go through to the second round because Jenny Yellen's looking at tier one, tier two banks and saying we're only going to really protect the deposits of tier one, uh, tier one banks, because they're, they're, you know, too big to fail yet again. <laughs> you know, Alfredo Ortiz, uh, you read my mind. I, I wanted to go there because I, I realized that, uh, listen, I started out in business for myself as a teenager with a small business that became a young adult in my twenties with a small business. And there are so many minorities that I feel are entrepreneurs. And when I was a kid, it was like my dad's friends all had bodegas and, and, and that changed into auto mechanic shops and whatever. But I go out of my way still today 
to visit small businesses in my neighborhood to make sure I go to a very small bank that doesn't even have customer service past five o'clock, which drives me crazy. But, you know, I, I, they're <laughs> the bank my dad went to and, you know, I, I still go to that bank. And, and I realized that, you know, I don't want to be part of a bank run on a small bank. So I, I, I stay with them and I, I go to the small Cuban place that's over here. I get coffee there. I get my lunch and my dinner there. And, and I know there's a lot of people like me that go out of their way. And yes, I do use Amazon, full confession, but uh, I buy plenty locally if I can. And I realize that people, there are still people that do that because they like the personal touch. They like to help small businesses. They like to have a community and a sense of community. And when you see what's happening with uh, these types of policies and the regulation and decisions that are made by people like uh, Yellen and those that, that are to the left of center that really don't care about the backbone of the American economy, don't realize how they're not only hurting, you know, the little guy, but oftentimes um, the minority little guy. And they're the ones that the right. first ones that want to talk about minorities. This is black. This is brown. This is that. This is this. But when it right. comes to their policies, they don't want to say anything that's black or brown. They don't want to you know, put any color on anything. They just want to raise rates and create right. policy that's detrimental. And I think it's it's a the height of hypocrisy and B, it really is detrimental to people of color. Yeah, 100 percent, Rich. I mean, and, and this was so frustrating to me. I mean, um, you, you know, when, when you look at the impact uh, this is going to have. And, and by the way, it's really bugging me. If you have some people out there and I know, you know, Kip, look, I love Shark Tank. I love Kevin Larry, But the comments that he's made of, of recent, I, I'm, I'm quite disappointed in because they're very flip about, you know, very flippant about overall the importance of regional community banks. He goes, why, why, why do you need them? Because everybody does electronic banking. Well, look, when you're a billionaire, it's really easy to say that, right? <laughs> right. So when you're a small <laughs> business owner and you have a bodega and you count on that community bank, right, to do your banking for you to help you understand, you know, what you need to do, those are critical lifelines to the small business community and to our communities in general. And so <clears throat> if you look, for example, at the Paycheck Protection Program, which I know a lot of people even conservatives say, oh, my gosh, it was a horrible program because there's so much fraud, $8 billion in fraud. Well, it was an $853 billion program, first of all. Um, mm. And it saved 55 million jobs, 5 million small businesses, right? So, look, I'll take 1% fraud any day, right, to save our entire small business community because the government forced them down and only right. the large businesses were too big to fail, right? So they all stayed open. But the, all the little guys had to close down and sweat it yeah, out. Every right? small hardware so, store had to close, but Home Depot yeah. and the big box stores were allowed to remain open. Churches were closed, well, and, by the way. And, yeah, yeah, churches were closed as well because they're not they're, they're not essential, um, mm -hmm. of course, or at least not to the Democrats. Um, and so we, we, when you have you know that that kind of uh, a thought process, right, where it's okay to do that to these small businesses and small small, small community banks. It's a disaster because, like I said, it's the lifeline and it's, it, it, it's the heartbeat of our country. And so, you know, we, we have to, you know, make sure that we, we can, uh, you know, protect these small, small banks. Because I'll tell you what, going back to the Paycheck Protection Program, just to finish the thought here, is you know who actually executed and saved truly our small businesses were the community banks, regional banks of this country. The big banks, the city banks, the chases, the Bank of America of the world, they turned their backs on the, on, on the small businesses and only were pretty much forced by the secretary 
to actually go through executing this program. And they made millions and millions and millions off of it because it was risk-free uh, exposure basically that they did. And so even with that, even after the bailout that we did for them uh, on the first time around, they turned their backs on the small business community. And I have to tell you, we have to protect our small, small community banks. All right, let's pause right there. We're going to come back and wrap up with Alfredo Ortiz. He's going to tell us all about Job Creators Network. There is more to come straight ahead. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. that listen and they love your show and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here with Alfredo Ortiz. Alfredo Ortiz is president and CEO of the Job Creators Network. And Alfredo Ortiz, tell everybody a a little bit about the type of work that you guys do at JCN. Yeah, thank you, Rich. Well, you know, we're really excited. We're honored to do this because we really try to be the voice of the 33 million small businesses out there, really trying to represent, you know, their needs. Uh, we do wonderful polling amongst our small businesses on a monthly basis. And we, 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 we talk to Congress both on the House and the Senate side so that they understand the pulse of the small business community, which is so important. And so, um, so, so, so that's a big part of it. And we really try to help give a megaphone and a platform to a lot of these small businesses to really state their case across the country to representatives, uh, you know, in Washington and even at local levels. And so it's a fight worth fighting because like I said, without small businesses in this country, we don't have a country. Um, and so, you know, we just have to keep on fighting because truthfully rich since the Biden administration took over, this has been a war on small business. And, uh, unless we fight back, we're not going to have small businesses in this country. We're just not. Yeah. Well, that's why we've got you guys at JCN fighting the fight. And we've got Bill in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, WRNN, that has a question for Alfredo Ortiz. Uh, Bill, you're on with Alfredo Ortiz and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Thanks for taking my call, Rich. I'm a first-time caller. I listen a lot. Uh, Welcome. I'm in a very good spot here in Myrtle Beach because we have a lot of job openings. Unfortunately, these job openings don't pay enough money with this interest rate for, to let these new people get into the housing market. This, this housing market just got crushed by these interest rates, and the people that want to live the American dream that are out there working every day trying, trying to get by are getting crushed by these yeah. interest rates. They can't live the American dream and get a house. They can get yep. a job, but they're not going to make enough money. All right, Bill. Alfredo Ortiz, go right ahead. Your yeah, thoughts. absolutely, Bill. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right, Bill. I mean, this is a major, major issue. The housing market is getting crushed with these rising interest rates. Again, you can thank Biden inflation for that because the Fed's had to respond to try to prevent, you know, out of control inflation by raising the interest rates. And so, uh, you know, uh, until we can bring down inflation, we can bring down the interest rates, but we have to cut this out of control government spending, which really was the trillions of dollars that flooded our economy that weren't necessary 
which is really caused this inflation. We just got to cut the spending. There's no, no other choice. Yep. Uh, well put, uh, Alfredo Ortiz. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate the call. And it, it truly is the, the, the case. And this is why, you know, I constantly talk about this and it becomes this, this issue of political rhetoric. They say, oh, yeah, then why, why didn't the Republicans do this? And, and to me, this is not about the Republicans. This is about anybody in elected office. If you're in Washington, you need to work on stopping, you know, cutting spending, stopping spending, uh, reducing the size of government. And, you know, there's days where I feel like that's just my own utopian conservative fantasy, that it's never going to happen. And uh, some, then there's other days where I say, no, I think we, we could get the right people in there. But it is definitely a challenge. And it truly is the only way to, to strengthen the economy, because uh, overregulation and, and crazy spending seem to be the death of us, Alfredo Ortiz. Yeah, it absolutely does. And Rich, to that and Newt Gingrich and I actually released the American Small Business Prosperity Plan at the end of last year. It's an eight-point plan. Um, it's it's doable. It's succinct. Uh, it really targets you know the needs of our small business community. I encourage people to go to our website, JobCreatorsNetwork.com. We actually have a petition uh, on the website um, that really encourages uh, folks to uh, send this into their elected leaders in Congress to support the plan. Um, and saying that, you know, together we can actually hold Washington accountable with this plan. And so, uh, you know, again, it's a great plan. Uh, it goes from making the tax cuts and Jobs Act permanent to focusing on the spending that you were just talking about to health care, um, you know, uh, you know, to to really, uh, you know, driving the this this one thing, which a lot of people have been talking about, of expanding access to capital for small businesses. So. I don't want to go through it because I know we don't have time here right now. But again, at JobCreatorsNetwork.com, they can find the eight-point plan and they can find the petition. We need people to help us to make this point to members of Congress. They need to hear from the small business community. And even if you don't own a small business, Mm -hmm. if you're a friend of a small business, if you have family members, if you shop a small business and you care about small businesses in your neighborhood, please go to this petition on our site. We need your help. We need Congress to know that Americans are sick and tired of this, and we have to protect our small businesses. All right, go to joinjcn.com. Alfredo Ortiz, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. Thank you, Rich. Have a good night. You bet. That's joinjcn.com, joinjcn.com. Folks, there's more to come straight ahead with your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Let's go to Shields, Michigan on KDKA out of Philadelphia and check in with our friend Kim. Hey, Kim, what's up? Hi, Rich. I'll talk fast. Um, <laughs> speaking of, this, speaking of this, these PPE loans, about two years ago, a young lawyer called in to the Jim Bohannon show. He said his wife was a chiropractor. And he applied for the PPE loans, and he was going to get like 175000 And he intended to use that to pay off his student loans. How much of that do you think went on? And do you think he really got away with that? I don't know. I know that the intention of those loans 
was you had to, it was really, it was, it was that it was payroll protection. And you, you had to have people on payroll, even if it was yourself, uh, a certain number and a certain amount uh, of people to, uh, to qualify for that. And I, that was the whole gist of it was to maintain jobs so that small businesses wouldn't go under. So I don't know if they were paying off their student loans and I don't know if that qualifies as payroll. Uh, but again, if you're paying yourself and then with that money, you're paying your student loans, that might be a possibility. Thanks, Kim. Uh, we'll talk again really soon. More to come straight ahead. We've got an action-packed show still to go. So don't go anywhere because we're just getting started. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Up next, Ian Pryor on parents protecting their children. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. If you want to join the conversation, you're welcome to. 833-4-VALDEZ is our phone number, 833-482-5337. And a couple of headlines here. Listen to this. A gym teacher has resigned after sleeping with a student. Maybe we'll get to that a little bit more in the next hour. Uh, but wanted to tease some of these headlines. Uh, Disney has announced it's going to host an LGBTQ rights summit. That's coming up. And, of course, you've got the California bill, uh, the Parental Rights in Education bill that Governor DeSantis signed, uh, is being expanded to 12th grade. Originally it was grades K through 3. And that's got people up in arms saying, you know, it's the don't say gay bill and it's spreading hate and yada, yada, yada. All of that's going on. And all of this comes at a time where I think parents are under attack, right? There's threat tags on parents. They're saying that parents are domestic terrorists. You can't go to a school board meeting and complain, yet your children can do whatever it is they want to do and whatever they claim to be or uh, identify as. And that seems to be okay under the uh, direction or, and even um, under the, the uh, advisement of teachers at times. And it just seems like, you know, what's... Up is down, down is up. Nothing seems to make sense anymore. And that's why I want to talk to Ian Pryor. You know Ian Pryor. He's a senior advisor at America First Legal, and he's the author of a brand new book, Parents of the World Unite. Check that out at centerstreet.com. Ian Pryor, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Rich. You bet, brother. So let's talk about this book because, again, uh, it's Parents of the World Unite, How to Save Our Schools from the Left's Radical Agenda. Uh, I would normally ask you, well, what what inspired you to write this book? But I think we all know, right? <laughs> There's inspiration for a book like this, is for a whole series like this. Uh, so let's talk about it. Um, what what's the number one thing you're going after in the book? Well, you know, I mean, I think that I wrote this book through our experiences here in Loudoun County over the past three years. You know, almost as a as Sun Tzu's art of war for parents. And, you know, I know that's going to get me on Merrick Garland's list, but so be it. <laughs> um, it 
you know, it, each chapter is, is structured as a, as a rule, right, or a strategic philosophical rule on how we approach the issues here in Loudoun County. And of course, you know, for those listeners, I'm sure they'll remember Loudoun County was the you know, epicenter of, of the beginning of the parents movement um, back in 2021 that really culminated in, in our school system covering up a, a sexual assault in a bathroom by a boy wearing a, a, a dress that was gender fluid oh, uh, and it was covered up by our, by our superintendent uh, in a school board meeting when he was asked about sexual assault in the bathroom. The school board said nothing to correct him despite all of them knowing what happened. And then it turned out they later moved this, this, um, this perpetrator to another school where right, he committed a second again. sexual assault. Yeah, and that, and that all happened, of course, in October, right after you know Terry McAuliffe famously said, I don't think parents should be telling schools what to teach. And right after Merrick Garland issues his memo after you know colluding with the NSPA, um, and it really just, I think, spread across the country that you know, in Loudoun County, where, where we had been, you know, talking about how our school system was putting politics over academics and safety, and had been galvanizing parents at school board meetings and at other events, um, it really, you know, gave truth to what we were saying. And, and you know, now here we are, uh, you know, two years after that event, and our superintendent has been indicted as, as our school spokesperson. So, you know, it goes to show that the parents that stand up and do so in a, a strategic and tactical way can really have an impact in making change. And I wanted this book to be a manual for what we did and how it can be applied really in any county or district in the country. Outstanding. Now, uh, there's, there's a lot that you, uh, you, you talk about here, about woke neighbors. Uh, I believe that they're labeled the Chardonnay Antifa. Uh, tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, the first chapter and, and the rule is, is every neighborhood is a battlefield. And, and I don't mean that, you know, we want to turn our neighborhoods into battlefields, even metaphorically, but the, that's the reality. Um, the reality is people that, you know, you think, you know, are friendly and live next door to you or down the street from you or in the next neighborhood over, uh, you know, they have a set of beliefs and, and they don't necessarily respect your beliefs or how you want to raise your children or how you want to live your life. And, you know, it's not enough to have that disagreement. Um, they're going to try and, and enforce their rules upon you. And if you don't buy into that, if you don't have the light of wokeness shown upon you, um, they're going to try and ostracize you and and you know get it so that you're not a productive member of society and these these are the people that are influencing school policy you know they're parents just like you and and they're out there they're the ones you know hosting the bake sales joining the pta and and really pushing your local school districts to implement these policies and you know i learned i learned that uh, that lesson in march of 2021 when you know we had a group of these these activists that were part of a a facebook group called the anti-racist parents of loudon county which included six school board members, dozens of teachers, administrators, our Soros-backed prosecutor, and, and they wanted to you know, really create a list of parents that were insufficiently woke, and they wanted to infiltrate their, those parent groups. They wanted to publicly expose those parent groups. And one woman even suggested hacking the, the, the websites of people and redirecting it to you know, pro-critical race theory websites. <laughs> and you know, the, the irony, and, and this is this is rule number three where, you know, in my book, and I talk about this, is, you know, the script got flipped on them because turns out their group was the one that got infiltrated and they were the one that were, they were the ones that were publicly exposed. And that was really an inflection point here in Loudoun County. I mean, we had been dealing with school closures as had many places throughout the country, but, you know, parents and, 
and teachers and, and elected officials creating enemies lists um, of parents that, you know, disagree with policies and simply go to school board meetings. You know, that's a point of no return. And I think that's what fired up parents to, you know, really start organizing here in, in Virginia, which, you know, obviously had quite an impact, you know, both on the, the statewide elections here in 2021, but really throughout the country. Hundred percent. Let me remind everybody that uh, the book is called "Parents of the World Unite: How to Save Our Schools from the Left's Radical Agenda." Our guest is Ian Pryor, and we're going to continue this discussion straight ahead. If you want to join in the conversation, feel free to do so. Eight three three four Valdez. Eight three three four Valdez. Again, the book is Parents of the World Unite, How to Save Our Schools from the Left's Radical Agenda. Go to Amazon or wherever you buy your books, and I always recommend get two copies, one for yourself, one to give to somebody who could benefit from it. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez with our guest. Hold on a second. I don't want to ruin the name of the book here. He's the author of the book, Parents of the World Unite, How to Save Our Schools from the Left's Radical Agenda. Ian Pryor, you know him as a senior advisor from America First Legal. And again, Parents of the World Unite, How to Save Our Schools from the Left's Radical Agenda. I recommend buying two copies uh, fresh off the presses. Ian Pryor, tell us about... um, the book, because there's a lot of books out there about wokeness, anti-wokeness, this, that, and the third. But your book seems to have a lot of humor to it. Tell us about it. Well, yeah, it, it does. And I think that the people that, that read it will enjoy it for, for that. Um, there's a lot of strategies and tactics and how we operationalize. Um, and you're really bringing a bunch of people together that, you know, are utilizing their, their own skill sets. And, you know, we had one, one woman who was really great at, at organizing and getting people to events. We had people that were really good on television and radio. We had people that were excellent at sending Freedom of Information Act uh, requests and investigating. And then we had, you know, people that, that knew the law and that are lawyers by trade. So, you know, we were able to unite a lot of people. But, what, you know, when you're dealing with the, the ultra-woke, whether it's at the elected official level or your neighborhood level, I mean, these people take themselves so seriously, mm-hmm. so seriously. And, you know, that's why we, we named this this private Facebook group that I, that I mentioned earlier that we're creating lists of parents that, you know, needed to be canceled. You know, we just named them Chardonnay Antifa. We thought it was, you know, we thought it was funny. <laughs> Sometimes you have to you have to smile. And, you know, I liken it to um, I say be like Mike. And and I mean, be like Michael Jordan. And if you remember back to the 80s when. You know, the Detroit Pistons, I mean, they were just mugging them every chance they got. And then in the 90s, you had the Knicks doing the same thing. But, you know, Jordan kept a smile on his face, stuck his tongue out, threw some dunks down on the way to 63 points and, you know, six NBA titles. And he always enjoyed it and looked like he was having fun. And I think that while this is a a serious issue, because we're talking about our children, we're talking about their present and their future, you can't do this battle if, if, you can you cannot enjoy the fight and be a happy warrior and see some of the the ridiculousness and absurdity of what the left is doing and and how they speak and how seriously they take themselves 
And so I wanted to inject as much humor in this as possible because really, I mean, it was a bunch of people that enjoyed each other's company and, you know, I think had a lot of laughs, but also got to work and, and rolled up their sleeves when they needed to. Yeah, and I think it, it, this really um, is, is a great follow-up uh, to the work you did with the with the billboards and, and organizing parents and all of that uh, because, you know, you used humor, but you, you made a great point. And, and I think it's this is about making points that stick, because if you're not making a point that sticks, what are you doing? Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely right. And, and you need to, you know, I mean, one of the things you have to win hearts and minds, right? I mean, you have to get people to, to wake up and and you, really they're looking at two sides of, of the argument here. They're looking at the people that are that are pushing these agendas. They're always angry, right? I mean, they may not always have blue hair, but they're always angry. And then you've got the other <laughs> side of the coin. <laughs> what's and the percentage you know on having the blue hair it's like 60 yeah, or 70 right yeah there's blue purple pink i mean pick, pick your color <laughs> of the rainbow um but you know on the other side when you're presenting your points i mean you, you want people to look at you and say you know that's someone i could have a conversation with that's somebody mm-hmm. i could have a laugh with you know watch a game with um talk about things outside of politics and not be so serious all the time and i think that's important you know i i understand that this is a passionate issue and, and parents on both sides of the aisle are going to go and they're going to argue at school board meetings and they're going to be fiery and angry, but you know, there's a time and a place for that, but there's a time and a place to, you know, talk a little smack, send a smile to the, the school board's way and, and let them know that you're, you know, three, four, maybe even 10 steps ahead of them and enjoy it while you're entrapping them. hundred percent. Now, Ian Pryor, before you go, I want to, I want to get your take on the, the uh, proposed expansion of the Parental Rights and Education Act in Florida. Uh, I tend to think this is a good thing. You know, some sidebar conversation I had with our control room team, uh, I was saying, you know, I, I never, ever in my educational career, ever, ever, uh, was taught about um, transsexuals or anything like that, um, it, even homosexuals, right, That other than defining it as a vocabulary word, even like in 11th grade. So, you know, I think expanding this to 12th grade doesn't seem crazy to me, but I'm not really old, right? I'm 44 years old. So it's not like uh, I was, it wasn't that long ago that I was in high school. What's your take on this? Yeah, you know, I agree. I, I think about when I was in high school and right around the same age, you know, I mean, sex ed was basically, you know, if you're not careful, you know, someone's going to get pregnant or you're going you're gonna to get a disease. So don't yeah. do it, right? And that's about the conversation we had. That's, that's about it. I mean, they didn't go into different topics. I mean, you know, it wasn't like it is now where it's, well, you know, there are 72 genders and, you know, right, if you feel one. like you're a different gender <laughs> one day, then, you know, totally that you can do that. I mean, you know, the, the problem is all these people, they, they mask it in this idea of oh, inclusivity, but they're really creating the categories that need inclusivity. You know, they're not pushing these ideas on people. You're not going to have someone saying, you know, I identify as the 63rd gender in the spectrum. I mean, it's all so ridiculous, and it's it's pushed in there by you know by the politicians, by the bureaucrats in school systems with the books that they're using. I don't understand why this needs to be something. There's no market for it until you build the market, and what we've seen is sort of the woke educational industrial complex had built the market for it. And then when you say, you know what, we don't want to buy that product, we don't think we need that in order to you know teach academics, which is our job. Well, then they start, you know, saying, well, it's, it's the don't gay, say gay bill, even though that's nowhere in the bill anywhere. But that's what they do. I mean, they create a narrative. Oh, they don't want to teach accurate history. 
You know, I, it's funny because I, I um, mm-hmm. one of our school board meetings, I think last year, someone came in there with the, you know, accurate history thing. And, and they were it was during Black History Month and they were talking about um, the uh, Boston Massacre. And they said, you know, one of the first first um, men killed in the Boston Massacre uh, that people probably don't know about was a black man called Crispus Atticus. And I'm like, yeah, no, you know what? His name was Crispus Attucks. Attucks. Okay, so if you're going to come in there, you know, with these points, you might want to get the facts right. Um, and it, that's because the bottom line is it's just a BS narrative, and it's not true. Just like, you know, when they say that, you know, people are homophobic or transphobic or racist, I mean, the majority of the time, they're just projecting their own, you know, their own problems on people that, you know, may just be questioning certain policies that, that are going on in the schools. 100 percent. All right. Let me uh, remind everybody again about the, the title of the book, because we want to help uh, Ian Pryor get this book into the hands of lots of parents. To me, this is something I'm passionate about. You guys know I, I helped start a charter school a long time ago and spent about nine years on that school board. And um, I think that that's that was at the time the only way to kind of insulate ourselves from the um aggressive government. Now it, it's not just the aggressive government, it's the aggressive, uh, you name it, like you just said, the woke industrial uh, complex that's coming after kids from every single angle. So the book, again, is Parents of the World Unite, How to Save Our Schools from the Left's Radical Agenda. Grab a copy or two on Amazon.com. Uh, Ian Pryor, let everybody know how they could follow you. And of course, final word to you. Yeah, they can they can follow me at Twitter at Ian D Pryor, and, and I agree. I think buy two copies to give give to someone that that you think might need it. But you know, maybe buy another copy. You've got April Fool's Day coming up, and <laughs> I'm sure you know somebody really <laughs> give it to a teacher. Life. <laughs> yeah, and and they're gonna hate this book. They're gonna absolutely hate it. So you know, send it to them. Get it to them by April first, and you know, maybe they'll learn something. Probably not, but uh, you get to have a good laugh from it. Outstanding. Well, um, let everybody know how they could follow you online. Yeah, I go to at E and D prior on Twitter. That's, that's the best location. Then, you know, as far as the, the book, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Books a Million, um, any, any retailer selling books, you can, you can get it. Sounds good. All right, Ian Pryor, I appreciate it. Godspeed to you. Good luck with the book and we'll touch base with you again soon. Thanks a lot, Rich. You got it, brother. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. We're going to get into a discussion on TikTok, and that's the other angle that people are taking on getting into the brains of children. And uh, it seems that finally some Democrats in Washington agree that that might be something we we might want to outlaw. Now, remember, not outlaw, but uh, ban. Uh, I remember President Trump saying a while back, this is something that we can't allow to continue to operate on government, federal government phones. But guess what? They said he was this and he was that and all sorts of things. Biden's done the same thing. And now tomorrow, the CEO of TikTok is going to be appearing before Congress. And, you know, I heard someone make a comment and uh, and I thought it was a, a, a poignant comment. And they said, you know, during, uh, and I forget his name, but he was on with uh, Brian Kilmeade. And uh, it was a very poignant comment. And he said, if during the Cold War, um, would Americans allow, you know, the Soviets to control what television channels we're watching <laughs> and the and the and the content that went out on these television channels? And of course, you know, I was like, wow, it's a great analogy because that seems to be exactly what's happening now. The Chinese don't even allow what's on our TikTok on their version of TikTok. So just think about that. So Adam Raziri's up next. 
Don't go anywhere. America, welcome back. And according to NBC News, there were protesters that came out uh, a day before the CEO of TikTok, Shu Zi Chu, is scheduled to testify in Congress about the app. And uh, the article I'm looking at here, NBC News, says, don't take away the community that we've built, creators protest potential TikTok ban in D.C. Now, I understand why the quote-unquote creator, and again, I think this term creator is pretty dumb, just my personal opinion. I'm sure there's, you know, a bunch of people that disagree with me. I don't like this term. I think just be who you are. You know, if you make videos, call yourself a video maker. You know, this creator thing is just, uh, I don't know, really don't like it. Uh, But... They, they ascended upon Washington about 30 content creators. Now, isn't this fascinating, right? There was 100 people that gathered and 300 people from the media. So it was like 400 people uh, to protest uh, Donald Trump uh, being indicted over there in, in New York City on Monday. Uh, that went, you know, s- s- reported, but not as widely reported as this TikTok band that had 30 people. Fascinating to me. But they're out there because they're saying they don't want to lose their money. They're making a ton of money with TikTok, and if we ban the app in the United States, they lose all their money. But TikTok has all the control in the world over the algorithms, over everything, on what people see, and it's quickly becoming one of the easiest ways for people, uh, in particular young people, to get all sorts of information. So what happens with TikTok? Well, to get to the bottom of that, uh, we are going to have a conversation with Adam Raziri, co-founder and chief marketing officer at Agency Partner Interactive. Adam Raziri, welcome, sir. Hey, Rich. Great to be with you. Yes, sir. Thank you. So, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about this. I remember President Trump saying, we've got to ban this, we've got to ban this, and then he found somebody else said, oh, no, no, we'll, we'll buy it. We'll buy the... Um, we'll buy the... the uh, the company so that we can well, maintain know, in the country. And it was like a big smoke and mirrors to me. No, what talk to us about that. Well, you're exactly right. You're, you're exactly right. And it wasn't even really what they've tried to make it seem. So in a nutshell, basically TikTok formed a partnership with Oracle and they said, Hey, you know what, Oracle, we're going to have you host the user data that we used to host over in Singapore. And Oh, oh by the way, guys, we definitely were not sending that data to bite dance HQ in Beijing. We promise. Uh, so, you know what, now we're going to have Oracle, host the data it's, it's in the u.s physically but i mean rich like we've all sent emails before transmitting data from an oracle server to beijing is just as simple as sending an email the idea that oracle as kind of a, a middleman this 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 arbiter of of, of safety right is it, really a joke and you know what's funny is i actually i know some oracle employees i've, I've talked to some and they encourage their kids and their family and friends to not get on TikTok, even though Oracle's making a boatload of money off of TikTok just for that hosting deal. It, it's really a joke. Unfortunately, you know, we had some uh, President Trump really did his best to try and force TikTok to sell off its assets. And at one point, this is interesting. Microsoft was interested in buying TikTok because they were considering getting into the social media game. They they bought LinkedIn and they were just like, you know what, maybe we can get into the into the social media game and compete with the likes of, of Instagram. 
and Snapchat and what have you. And then that never played out really. It's, it's really because Beijing didn't want to sell t- uh, TikTok. They're making, they made $350 million in just fourth quarter of 2022. It's, it's, it's a moneymaker for them now. And, but also too, it, it, it generates a lot more value for them than money. It generates influence and power and control. And it really, like Ted Cruz said, it is a Trojan horse. And it's an application that lives on the devices of Americans. And it can be used to make us think, feel, and do things about anything, right? They, they literally had ghost accounts on, on TikTok that were run by the Chinese Communist Party. And those ghost accounts were designed to influence how Americans felt about the, the Wuhan lab leak story. You know, China was like, let's make sure that public perception is, is favorable for us. Let's use these ghost accounts here that people think are just, you know, just normal accounts, you know, in the social media space. And then let's just make sure the Americans like China. It, it's really kind of crazy what's going on here. Um, and, and so, you know, the asset, the forced asset sale never actually happened. It was just kind of this, this I would say like smoke and mirrors. You, you said it quite well, this deal with Oracle. And now so kind of President Biden, right? He, he seems to be a guy who creates problems that didn't have to exist. And really, if he just followed the Trump playbook from day one, I mean, he would probably be sailing pretty comfortably into a reelection, just given, you know, some of the craziness in the media. Um, but because he didn't do that, you know, we're, we're in this economic environment where we're now talking about kicking TikTok out of the country, but, but they've really intertwined themselves so strongly into the, to the U.S. They have 7,000 U.S.-based employees. Uh, they have over four offices here uh, in the U.S., and they're actually building a ByteDance headquarters, I think, in Seattle. So they, they've really sort of been able to get their, their tentacles kind of woven into our system in a very strong way, not just from, you know, influencers who make money on the platform, but also just high-paying jobs, employees, people who, who look to TikTok as their employer to, to pay the bills. Uh, and so I think really just we have to kind of like just advise people of, of what the truth of TikTok is as a business. It is a foreign asset. It is a it is a, a company that basically is able to create this military-grade weaponized algorithm to control our thoughts and, and also to steal our data. Uh, TikTok will tell you publicly that they don't steal our data. But the reality is, is when you listen to whistleblowers and when you, when you see uh, uh, stories that have been leaked, there's actually audio from inside TikTok's meeting rooms that literally expose the truth of the fact that U.S. user data is going straight to the Beijing headquarters, ByteDance. And, oh, by the way, the corner offices are all basically staffed with people who are Chinese military. You know, it's absurd to sit here and listen to TikTok's U.S.-based PR team. Uh, It's absurd to sit here and listen to them spewing lies when the reality is just so much worse than what they're trying to have us believe. TikTok is not just about funny video, funny videos and, you know, trying to show off your dance moves, right? It's, it's really a very dangerous, dangerous thing. And, you know, we have our own problems with U.S.-based big tech, right? Like Meta and, you know, I'm glad Elon Musk bought Twitter. Maybe that has a chance of, of sticking around and becoming a good company, right? Twitter was not profitable for eight out of the last 10 years. I think Elon can do great things there. But, you know, as Americans, I think we have to kind of rally behind U.S. big tech and understanding that it has its faults um, and, and stick to Instagram reels as an alternative uh, look to Snapchat as an alternative and stay the heck away from TikTok because it is dangerous. You know, it sounds like you're describing a Chinese Communist Party version of the old Twitter, you know, where it has government officials that are working inside <laughs> and they're like right. hand and glove with the iron fist of the CCP. Folks, our guest is it, it, Adam Raziri. It, yeah, go ahead. You know, what's kind of funny is it's like whenever the problem gets bad enough, the Biden administration just looks to what's in the playbook from the Trump administration. And they're just like, maybe we should try that. 
you know, and every now we're single time. To put, every time, yeah. And it's like, man, by the way, like Trump has some pretty good ideas for the border problem, right? Maybe we should look back to those as well. Um, and, and so now the Biden administration is sitting here saying, yeah, well, we're, we're going to maybe try and force that, that TikTok company to sell up their assets. And, and I think probably away from the conference table, Joe Biden's over there saying, what's a TikTok? Uh, but of course, his staffers are all just sitting here saying, well, we're just trying to boost you know, our, our perception here before the, the, uh, the election comes up in, in 2024. Okay, let me just remind everybody who we're talking to. Adam Raziri, he's the uh, chief marketing officer at Agency Partner Interactive. And uh, they're one of the fastest growing privately owned companies in Dallas, according to Inc. Magazine. Uh, expert on all these things, TikTok. Last time I, we talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, we talked about TikTok. And it was about how they were like, oh, we didn't know that the, the CCP had access to our servers. This time, uh, now the government's <laughs> going to grill them on that. So we're going to continue our conversation with Adam Raziri straight ahead. If you want to join the conversation, you're welcome to. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. 833, the number four, Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Adam Raziri, CMO at Agency Partner Interactive, and we're talking about TikTok. The CEO of TikTok is going to be appearing for testimony in front of a congressional committee tomorrow, and uh, we were discussing how how and what TikTok does what it does. And a while back, there was a documentary uh, that I uh, pulled a clip from. I don't have it available, but to summarize it, the narrator was saying, that he found it fascinating in his investigation for his documentary that it was uh, discovered that in China, the folks that were watching TikTok, and by folks, I mean the little kids watching TikTok, were fed math problems and things that helped them to be better um, at what they do, you know, engineering, STEM areas, things like that. And and it was, um, you know, kind of very pro-CCP, pro-China. And in America... What we get is, you know, pro LGBTQ, pro, you know, dance moves, different trends, slapping somebody with a burrito uh, or a tortilla and that, that type of thing. And of course, that's by design, Adam Raziri. Rich, you're so right on. And it's funny. So in China, the, their version of TikTok is called Douyin. And, and that's exactly what it is. It's a Chinese propaganda machine. And the version that we see over here is just called TikTok, right? It's, it's still the same thing. It's a Chinese propaganda machine. And one of the things that, frankly, FBI Director Ray said to the Senate Intelligence Committee just a couple of years ago was he was saying, guys, TikTok screams a national security threat. And it, and it really does in particular, uh, as we kind of see the, the temperature escalating between China and, and Taiwan on the world stage, uh, China is going to be using TikTok to make sure that there is a favorable perception when it comes to their continued aggression to take over Taiwan and, and obviously to do other things specific to taking over the world economy. Um, but that, that's, that's just par for the course. The fact is, is whatever TikTok CEO says to, to Congress is really, it's, it, what does it really matter? I mean, this is not a guy who's going to come in and be truthful. He's, he's literally coming in waving a party flag, and he's trying to really just have a favorable perception uh, with those who are asking him questions, very valid questions. Like, you know, the, the, the fact of, of the matter is, uh, Director Ray said, 
and he's right about this, that TikTok is an application that can be used to quite literally take over your phone, turn that into a listening device. And if you just think about the people that are on TikTok, almost 150 million people, right? The children of politicians, the children of CEOs, some of the CEOs and politicians themselves, you turn on that device and you listen in to the room and just listen to that conversation. What could possibly go wrong, right? Hopefully, hopefully uh, it's not downloaded on the Biden family's devices because then China's going to get the, the code to our nukes, right? It, it's that scary, though. The fact is, is that they can scrape password data and they can uh, understand not just you know your behavior and what you do and where you go and when and who you associate with, but they can also you know steal from you as well. Uh, not just corporate and personal information, but also hack into your bank account and hack into everything that your mobile devices have been uh, in, 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 in connection with. But it goes beyond just the app itself too, Rich. They, they track data on websites that ultimately feed information back to the same servers that they're basically their, their military machine is reviewing. And when they say that uh, we're not sharing any of this data with, with the, uh, the party officials back in Beijing, it's absolutely ridiculous. China has a, a national security law that literally mandates every Chinese company to give them whatever they want, whenever they want it. And so they're going to sit here and say, oh, well, we have this national security law, but we promise we haven't, we have not mandated TikTok to share anything with us, which is absurd because the new CEO, by the way, over there at TikTok was selected by President Xi. The, the, uh, the, the, the original CEO of TikTok was actually given the boot because Duyin, the China version of TikTok, was actually uh, not censoring enough content that was seen as a threat to President Xi's power. Uh, <laughs> you you might have heard this story before, but uh, in, in China, basically Winnie the Pooh as a character is kind of used to to, to mock President Xi. And back when Barack, <laughs> uh, when Barack Obama was in office, they would they would literally circulate photos of of Winnie the Pooh and Tigger. Uh, the, the the slender tiger, you know, and and so Tigger was basically used to kind of make fun of Obama, and Winnie the Pooh was used to make fun of President Xi, and and he, I guess I guess he was feeling threatened by a cartoon, and so he literally said, "All right, you know what? We're going to get rid of the CEO. We're going to get rid of the founder of this company, and we're going to make his roommate the new CEO, and that's going to who's that, that's going to be who's in front of Congress uh, this week. So it's going to be kind of." Interesting to see what he says, but you know what? Like whatever he does say, you know it's probably not going to be very truthful. Now, just to be clear, uh, President G has not banned Winnie the Pooh. Is that accurate? He actually has banned Winnie the Pooh. No, he has. <laughs> this man is a yeah. tyrant. How do you ban Winnie yeah. the Pooh? I know. I know. You know. It's like. From, from from Paw Patrol to Winnie the Pooh, what's next, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. We recently did we a story where they, they turned that. Winnie the Pooh into a slasher. Uh, because the, the copyright is up. It's crazy. So now he's banned in China and he's a slasher in America. What is going it's on? Bit, it's contraband. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, I'm looking at the article now. That's crazy. Uh, Adam Raziri, um, stick with us. I, I want to go over. Uh, let me see. Let me see. You, um, Yeah, before we uh, stick around for, for a couple more minutes so we could get a plug on everything that you're doing and wrap up. All right. Stick around. Folks, more to come straight ahead. It's Rich Valdez with Adam Raziri. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. 
All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and I am here with Adam Raziri, co-founder and chief marketing officer at Agency Partner Interactive. And um, Adam, I just wanted to make sure we didn't end without letting everybody know where they could uh, keep in touch with the work that you're doing and how they could follow up with you. Uh, Rich, I appreciate it. You're a good man. Yeah, check out agencypartner.com to uh, find my company website. We help businesses and organizations with uh, custom web development, custom application development, and digital marketing solutions. Uh, we've worked with conservative organizations that have been canceled, and we've helped uh, to make them cancel proof. Uh, and that, that includes payment processors and all sorts of, of online platforms that help them run their organizations and raise money. Uh, also, you can find me just personally uh, at the Adam Riz on Twitter. And, uh, you know, just on the side of that, Rich, I, I'm really involved yeah. with an organization called FreedomWorks, and I'm working to help support the, parent, the parental rights movement because I like think Dick it's Army just, Freedom uh, Works? Uh, the, the, the FreedomWorks uh, organization over there in D.C., yep. Um, yeah. and Adam Brandon leads that organization, and uh, exactly right. And, and the organization right now, I think it's, it's doing some really great things. It blew my mind when I learned that there were 11 and 12 and 13-year-old girls that were being given hysterectomies as part of, quote-unquote, gender affirmation care. I mean, it's mutilation, and the doctors that do that should be thrown in jail. So, you know, I have, yeah. I'm a father myself. I have a kid who's about to be six months old. And, um, oh, wow. you know, whatever he wants to be when he gets older, you know, I want to support that. But I, I got to protect him and make sure that uh, – Obviously, the left doesn't take everything that we've worked so hard to protect in this country. We, we definitely live in a place that's exceptional, uh, the greatest country in the history of the world. But we're always one generation away from losing it all. And, you know, my family came here from, from Italy and Ireland in the early 1900s, uh, not even speaking English, right? We spoke Italian. And, uh, and we've, we've fought for the country, blessed for the country. And you know what? It's a place worth living in. It's a place worth fighting for. And I want to do whatever I can to support that. Outstanding work. Folks, uh Follow Adam Raziri at the Adam Riz. That's Riz with two Z's. And um, check out his work at agencypartner.com. Adam, hope to have you back soon. We'll talk again uh, on that topic because that's a, a topic that it doesn't escape me on a daily basis. <laughs> I always end up getting wrapped up in some article where I'm like, I can't believe they're doing this now. Yeah, because I, it's, it's crazy. just insane to me. It really is. Hey, God bless you, Rich, and God bless your listeners. Thank you guys so much. All right, brother. Amen to that. All right, there is more to come straight ahead. We've got uh, well, we got a minute, two minutes to go, right? Is that right, Mr. Hinton? Minute and a half. We could do it. Let's go to Liz in Slingerlands, New York, WGDJ. Liz, go right ahead. Hi, good evening, Rich. Thanks for taking the call. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, Rich, I, I, I just heard tonight about the, um, in, in Michigan, um, where the Chinese are coming in and they're, they bought land, and they're going. And the governor gave them a seven, some odd billions, oh, yeah. billions of dollars or billions. See, and, you know, and we had a, a show with um, with the uh, Tudor Dixon who ran against Gretchen Whitmer, and uh, she brought us up to speed on that. Go right ahead. Well, and they're going to house, and it's going to be Chinese nationalists that come in and, and get these jobs. And I understand, and they cannot. They're going to be their own police department and everything. And I understand this is not the only place that this has happened. Maybe I'm not talking about buildings, but the Chinese come in and they have their own police agencies. They're taking yeah. it over without firing a shot, aren't they? It sounds to me that way. And that's a good book, by the way, um, without firing a single shot. 
Uh, Liz and Slingerland's excellent point. I'll elaborate on your points and give you my response on the other side of the break. Thank you for your call. I appreciate it. It is Open Phone America. Make sure you give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Open Phone America starts right now. Give us a call. I'm looking forward to it. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez, and we're starting that right now. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And you are welcome to join the late-night town hall conversation we're having here. Uh, Our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Of course, our legacy line is always open, and you know the number to that. I want to go into a few... um, a few stories may not get to all of them in depth, but these are some amazing headlines that you, you just think, hmm, real head scratchers, right? Listen to this. So the journalist that, uh, and again, this is quote unquote journalist uh, that was banned. Uh, well, first of all, this is a journalist that made and posted the AI generated pictures of uh, former President Trump being arrested by the NYPD that have been making the rounds on social media. And some people actually thought they were real, that Trump was, you know, getting into fisticuffs with the NYPD uh, resisting arrest and whatnot. The whole thing is fake, phony, and fraud designed to, you know, sway the opinion. And again, it's it's his right in free speech to do so. Uh, but he calls himself a journalist, not an artist, and uh, because they were generated by AI, and he's been banned from using that AI art generator. <laughs> and I think, you know, there's a good example of things actually working, right? You know, I'm sure... Um, I think it's appropriate, right? If they're going to ban people, I'm sure they would have banned it if it was Biden. So it's good that they banned it, being that it was Trump. Um, Now, speaking of criminals, listen to this. Two men have escaped jail and ended up where? At IHOP, (laughs) where patrons reported them. This happened in Newport News, Virginia. According to the Associated Press, these two inmates in a Virginia jail used primitively made tools to create a hole in the wall like every everybody else who gets out of jail. They use a spoon or whatever to, you know, take three years to carve a hole in the wall. And uh, they escaped from their cells only to be found hours later at an IHOP nearby by the county sheriffs. Authorities discovered the two men, ages 37 and 43, that uh, missing from their cells in the Newport News Jail Annex during a routine headcount on Monday night, according to a statement from the sheriff's office. So the preliminary investigation found the men exploited a weakness in the jail's construction design and used tools made from a toothbrush and a metal object. So, excuse me, they were not um, spoons. It was a toothbrush and some metal object that they um, used to access the rebar in between the um, brick walls. Then they used the rebar to to further escape. They took it out 
And um, that's how they were able to scale the containment wall around the jail. That's crazy. Authorities asked for the public's help to find the men, and they were taken into custody again early on Tuesday at an IHOP in Hampton, where other patrons, in fact, called the cops. And uh, that's the story. So you broke out of jail with a toothbrush, and we'll call it a spoon, a toothbrush and a spoon, and, uh, and they got caught at IHOP. Sucks to be them. Now, in addition to sucking to be them, uh, there's another story here I'm going to share quickly. The rapper, Takashi69, he's the guy with the rainbow-colored hair and the tattoo of a 69 on his face. I know. There's like three people listening right now that know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but he uh, he was a rapper that famously uh, took on the street gang, the Bloods. He became a part of them, infiltrated them, and then ratted them out um, and, and did music videos with them. It was just a really big deal. Anyway, he was at a gym in Florida, apparently in the sauna or the steam room, and got beat up by a bunch of guys because, you know, he was running his mouth, talking smack. At least that's how it was reported. So that's um, an interesting turn of events there as well. Now, I also wanted to direct your attention to uh, a couple of clips of audio that we have because I wanted to jump into this. Um, Let's see. It was cut number five right here. This is uh, an interesting one. This is... Uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, she's at the White House today, and being that we were just talking about TikTok in the previous hour, and she doesn't want to discuss anything about how this Chinese energy company uh, has, in fact, been paying three people with the last name Biden. Listen to this. House Oversight says they've got bank records showing a Chinese energy company paying three Biden family members through a third party. What were they paid for? Look, I'm just not going to respond to that from here. Look, we have heard from House Republicans for years and years and years um, how uh, how the inaccuracies and lies when it comes to this issue. And I don't even where to begin to even answer that question, because, again, it's been lies and lies and inaccuracy for the past uh, couple of years. And I'm just not going to get into it from here. So the White House, uh, in particular, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, she dodges the question earlier today, Wednesday, about a Chinese energy company issuing payments to multiple members of President Joe Biden's family. Now, earlier in March, the House Oversight Committee and Accountability Committee Chairman James Comer, he published a report outlining how from 2015 to 2017, China State Energy, HK, appeared to make $1.3 million payments to the Biden family through an intermediary. Mm-hmm. Now, this, I guess these are the inaccuracies and lies that she's talking about. These payments to Jim Biden and Hunter Biden, the president's brother and the president's son, were previously known, but Comer revealed the payments were also made to Hallie Biden, and we talked about this a few days ago, the widow of the president's deceased son, who then became the girlfriend of the living son, which, uh, I, you know, I knew that that was done back in biblical times, but uh, I feel like it probably shouldn't be done today, right? I think that, that would be wrong. Anyway, um, the records show a fourth unidentified Biden also receiving payments. Now, I'm, this is a quote uh, from Jean-Pierre that you just heard. She's just not going to say it, right? She's just not going to get into it. And, you know, she says it's inaccurate. She says it's a lie. I wonder, what's the bottom line here? And who's the mystery Biden? 
So I'm taking um, your your calls on that. If you can figure out who the mystery Biden is, I don't have the answer, but I'm very curious to know, in fact, who is this mystery Biden? And uh, we're going to get to your calls momentarily when we come back. But let me give you the number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ is the... um, way to get in and be heard on America's late night town hall forum. This is America at night. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's me, Rich Valdez. And I want to remind you that in Canada, they say some words differently there. They do. Matter of fact, we use the name here, Regina. And it's a a very lovely name. But in Canada, they use the name Regina. Same spelling, R-E-G-I-N-A, just different pronunciation. Whereas my um, now departed eighth grade teacher used to say, they put the accent on the wrong syllable (laughs) instead of syllable. And we'll talk about Regina and Regina a little bit more at the bottom of the hour. And the Canadians are up in arms about a few things and issuing apologies. But I want to talk about um, this um, a different story on Biden before we get to your calls. By the way, we're, I see the calls are coming in. We're going to get to you momentarily. 833, the number 4, Valdez, 833-482-5337. Uh, vice President Biden's office, back when he was vice president, tried to put the kibosh and uh, silence a story from Bloomberg about Hunter Biden at his firm's request. And this is according to emails that have now been um, released as a part of a FOIA request from America First Legal. President of Hunter Biden's uh, partner, his company, Rosemont Seneca, asked the vice president's office to urge Bloomberg against running a story. Now, listen to this. Um, These emails were obtained by AFL and through this ongoing lawsuit with the National Archives, it shows how close a relationship there is between the vice president's office, Hunter Biden's longtime business partner and the media. Back in 2015, in December of 2015, the New York Times ran an article saying the credibility of the vice president's anti-corruption message may have been undermined by Hunter's serving on the board of Burisma. Of all places, that's the New York Times back in 2015. And um, because of the owner, Mikola Zolotchkevsi. I know I didn't say it right, but I don't know how to say it. Forgive me. Later that day, Eric Schwerin, uh, he um, was president of Hunter's now defunct investment firm, Rosemont Seneca Partners, at the time asked the vice president's then communications director, Kate Bedingfield, whether there was any follow-up by other news outlets on the New York Times article. Now, Bedingfield, who stepped down last month as White House Communications Director, responded to Sherwin. Am I saying that right? Sherwin. Yeah, I think I am. And if I'm not, I like saying it like that. It's fun for me. Uh, Within minutes, saying that a Bloomberg reporter had asked about it, but was doing everything she could do to not use it. Here's a quote. 
VP just finished an interview with the Bloomberg reporter traveling with us, and she asked about it, though she assures me she's doing everything she can not to use it. She wrote, I will have a transcript soon, but my quick notes on his answer are, no one has any doubt about my record on corruption. I don't talk to my son about his business, and my children don't talk to me about mine. I have complete faith in my son. Mm-hmm-hmm. But wait, there's more. Sherwin responded, and again, it's not Sherwin, it's Sheridan. Uh, I would just urge her, as I know you are, that there is no news there, and even if she uses it, she should avoid getting into past stories, like the Navy, where he was kicked out of the Navy for cocaine use and whatever, that have, and saying that that had nothing to do with this. Bettingfield replies, absolutely. We have had two conversations about it, and she'll only use it if her editors hold a gun to her head. She absolutely will not do the second thing. The two appeared to be talking about Hunter Biden's administrative discharge from the Navy over cocaine use back in 2014. Now, Sheeran, as I like to say, uh, then asked Bettingfield to uh, keep us posted if that gets you inquiries from other outlets. And uh, they said, oh, sure, we'll do. Bettingfield responded, blah, 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 blah. So clearly there's a very cozy relationship between the White House Communications Office, uh, the reporters at Bloomberg. Again, that's that iron fist inside the glove, right? The iron fist of, of the left inside the glove of the media. Anyway, the next day, Bloomberg published a five-paragraph story at a now-defunct link quoting the vice president defending his son in an interview aboard Air Force One, with the two of them saying, I don't have any doubt about my son. Sheeran and Bettingfield expressed frustration after the story was published. I, uh, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to give you the rest. It looks a little boring from here. The big part of the story here is that um, there was this collusion between the reporters and whatever to put stories down about Hunter as far back as 2015. So this is nothing new. So when when people bring this up, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre is saying, no, 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 because this has nothing to do with nothing and that's got nothing to do with anything and this got nothing to do with that and blah, 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 blah. It's all crap. It's all crap because ultimately they've been doing this since day one, Right. And that's ultimately it. Let's go to Steve, Cleveland, Ohio, W-E-O-L. Steve, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Well, it's nighttime, easy listening, so that's where I'm going to put you. <laughs> you had Thanks, to brother. study a lot of – you're welcome. You had to study a lot of people because uh, you're – you sound like about three different guys who used to have microphones. But the one well, I hope I sound like this one guy named Rich Valdez. You do. You're original. I got to leave it there. <laughs> Rush always says don't watch the polls until about two months out from the. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's election. a good advice. And you know, probably best learned from the, the the Reagan years, right? You looked at Reagan. They said he's going to lose. He's going to lose. He's going to lose. And he wins in a huge landslide. Anyway, let's get back to uh, Hunter Biden. What's your thought on on uh, on this Hunter Biden story? Real quick, the funny part: Jimmy Carter's still here. Um, I'll leave it alone. Hunter Biden, according to uh, Bannon, he is uh, there. Her, her name is Haley. So, uh, well, no, they have that's the third is, one. Uh, they they have the third one. You're saying there's a fourth one that's that's named Haley, not Hallie. So they uh, have the Hallie third Hallie one is Hallie. Starts with 
Okay. It's that's that. Well, that's kind of what I heard about a week or two ago. Yeah. No, apparently there's still a fourth Biden that they haven't quite uh, pinned the the payment on. So we'll keep our ears and eyes open on that one, Steve, because I don't know. I don't know the answer either. I'm hoping that uh, somebody else will will have one. Uh, But let's keep going. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Let's go to G-Dub in Galesburg, Illinois. W-G-I-L. Go right ahead. Who's the fourth Biden? Good evening. Oh, who's the fourth Biden? Yes, sir. Reminds me of that game show. Reminds me of the game show where you had to answer the questions. So I'll say, Alex, who is Joe Biden? (laughs) Who is Frank? It's Joe Biden himself. Well, good evening to you, too, G-Dub. Tell us what's going on. Um, Why do you think it's Joe Biden? Well, it just seems like they keep talking about this uh, person that, uh, you know, knows about everything. And some information in the past said it was linked to Joe. And I just it's a family thing. So I just think it's Joe. Right. Right, like the old saying, the fish rots from the head. And obviously he's the head of the Biden crime family. So uh, that would make sense. I appreciate your call, GW, calling from Galesburg, Illinois, WGIL. You can call this game show anytime you like. I appreciate it. Let's continue to Al in Kalispell, Montana, K-O-F-I. Al, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me on your show. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, is it? I'm sorry. Um, anyways, um, the word the, the word big guy, Joe, are all three-letter <laughs> words, aren't they? It seems that way. <laughs> this is like yeah. a game show question, too. You know, give me four words that are three letters that all describe who the fourth Biden might be. Hmm. Dun, dun, dun. The big guy, Joe. Outstanding. Excellent. Well put. Um, what's the weather like? I always ask our other buddy, um, uh, Frank in Evergreen, Montana. Uh, how are things going in Kalispell for you, Al? It's going to drop to 20 degrees tonight. Wow. You got to love it. It's so beautiful there, but it gets so cold. <laughs> it gets so cold. I think the coldest it's gotten here is like 39 here on the East Coast, New York area, um, which is nice, you know, this time of year because we're, you know, we're getting into May. That means, uh, well, April. I'm ahead of time because uh, my birthday's in May, so I'm looking forward to it. But we're almost in April, and uh, it's got to get warmer because if it doesn't get warmer, we're going to freeze. All right. Thank you, Al, in Kalispell, Montana, KOFI. We got more people on hold. We're going to get to you momentarily. Um, I don't want to put you on right now because we're going to hit a break, and then you'll only have seconds to go before the break. But I do want to remind you of uh, this story that I was looking at here. Let me pull up my sheet because this one is a good one. Uh, Again, we talked about the guy who claims to be a journalist who was banned from the AI art generator for making those images of President Trump getting arrested. And we also know that in real news, because that's, you know, a fluffy story. But in real news, they canceled the grand jury uh, proceedings today. I'm guessing because they're like, you know, what? hold on. This thing isn't working out right. You know, kind of like in radio, they go, is this thing on? (laughs) That's what Alvin Bragg is doing. Uh, trying to see if he could revive this case, if there even is a case. Let's see what happens. So we're going to talk about that coming up and a lot more. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez, and it's Open Phone America. Give us a call.
now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, so a couple of weeks ago, back when the big story of the day was weather balloons that were actually spy balloons and they were all over and Biden was shooting everything out of the sky, everything, even like small, you know, hobby drones and whatnot. Um, Karine Jean-Pierre was asked a question by a reporter on MSNBC about, you know, why are we shooting things out of the sky? You may remember this clip. Check this out. Why is why is the American military shooting something out of the sky over Canada. Because it's part of a NORAD. There is a, the NORAD is part of like a it, part of a, it's a, it's a, what you call a coalition, a consortium, a consortium. A, a pact so, of nations. A pact, okay. exactly. And so that's why we were able to do that. Again, it, we didn't do it on our own. We did right. it in, in, uh, in, uh, clearly in, 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 in step with uh, right. Canada. <laughs> in step with Canada. <laughs> now, of course, uh, She's not the only one mispronouncing Canada, right? She says Canadia. Well, good old Canadia. There's a city uh, named Regina in Canadia, and uh, that's kind of like Shirin. <laughs> this, uh, yes, and and they pronounce it Regina, and that is how it's actually pronounced in Canada. So R E G I N A. And now they've had to issue an apology, and they say they are sorry for their quote unquote sexualized ads. Well, the tourism organization for the city of Regina, Canada, has made this apology after critics claimed their new ad campaign was just really a perversion for the city. A series of new slogans leaned into the city's double entendre name with taglines such as show us your Regina and the city that rhymes with fun. I don't even get that one. Uh, some residents said it was immature and belittling to women. Experience Regina apologized on Sunday, saying the rebrand crossed a line and created a negative impact. <laughs> what, what did you expect? <laughs> and the guy says, I want to start off by apologizing on behalf of myself and our team for the negative impact we created with the elements of our recent brand launch. Uh, that was Tim Reed. Uh, from Experience Regina. Experience Regina, the organization, the travel organization, said that it was trying to take ownership of a name that has become a crude joke for some. Amid this growing backlash, the agency released further statement saying that it will now involve more diverse stakeholders in its decision-making process in the future. Now, in a bid to calm the storm, the mayor of Regina, Sandra Masters, who originally was in support of the rebrand, uh, is going to hold a news conference. And uh, as we have an update on that, we'll get it to you. But local businesses that added the new slogans to merchandise have also apologized and removed the product. Uh, another one said, I want to express how incredibly disappointed and appalled I am with the sexist messaging of the new Experience Regina campaign, said Cheryl Danichuk. She's a ward counselor for the city. Uh, then there's another one here that says, we have extremely high rates of uh, intimate partner violence and sexual assault in our city. As a society, we have a responsibility to teach boys and men about consent. Now, I, I think that's a bridge too far. 
to say that, you know, they, they made uh, their version of I Love New York and changed the pronunciation of New York to, you know, I get the double entendre for sure. However, this is, uh, you know, to sit here, if, if you really do have these high rates of intimate partner violence, which I, I don't even know what that is. I'm guessing that's a domestic violence in the United States um, and sexual assault, which is rape and other um, types of sexual assault. Then maybe we need police, right? Maybe we need to get those mounted can, Royal Canadian police out there and, you know, enforce some of the laws. Hopefully that is a law. I know Canada, or I should say Canada, has different types of laws uh, that aren't the same as the United States. But some residents have suggested that the city should be known as its nickname, the Queen City, after Queen Victoria, instead of as Regina. So that's the new uh, slogan. And it was supposed to echo a song that was uploaded to YouTube back in 2008 that eventually went on to be played and popularized by Jimmy Fallon on NBC's Tonight Show. So um, I don't have the audio of the song. I'm pretty sure we can't even play it. But that's the story about Regina Canada, or as KJP would say, Canada. Anyway, more to come straight ahead. We're going to get to your calls uh, in a moment, um, right when we come back. And I also want to talk about what's this story about uh, Trump suspending the the grand jury. Um, Some people are saying there's not going to be any indictment. More to come. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So has the indictment against Donald Trump been canceled? That's a question from me. I don't know that it has been. But uh, I do know that when it was Hillary Clinton's turn, they settled the um, the matter with Paula Jones with a check for $850,000. And that really happened. And um, Paula Jones was never on the record saying that she'd never done anything with Bill Clinton. Stormy Daniels was in a deposition on the record. Uh, under oath. So um, this is interesting to me. Uh, Very interesting to me. As you know, the grand jury proceedings were canceled today. Uh, President Trump um, reposting on Truth Social a a tweet, not a tweet, but a post uh, saying that this was a weak case or asking as much, surmising as much. So that's the story in New York. I'm interested in your reactions to that. Let's go to New York. Let's go to our buddy Alex, who's on the phone listening from Brooklyn online on Rich Valdez America at night.com. Go right ahead, Alex. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, hey Rich. Thanks so much for taking the call. So, hey, Alex, how you are know, you? I don't know this for certain. I'm doing great. I hope you're doing so as well. Um, yes, you know, I'm, I'm very upset about this situation because we've got a district attorney who's, you know, letting the city burn with crime, but he's busying himself with some burnt toast, which is the story of Trump. That's a joke compared to what's going on with the crime Mm -hmm. in the city. Uh, But I, you know, I think what may have happened is it's, we got a woke jury. They, they took woke jurors and put them up on that jury. There's a woke judge and there's a woke district attorney and it's bias all the way. But the people that are on the jury aren't necessarily bad people. They're not the politicians. They're just Democrats that 
that, that you know the people that picked them were corrupt and and you know specifically went out to get a biased democratic left leaning jury and so these people they're they're just people that get their viewpoints and perspectives from the left wing media after all these years and they view Trump as this big monster and they were certain that when they're going to see this court case you know coming out and everything it they're going to see stuff that are so serious as the media was portraying it to be and they were for sure going to indict him but as they were sitting in the courthouse and watching the proceedings they were like this is so insignificant and there's so much exaggeration going on in the media and so many of them on the jury might have changed their mind about the whole situation with how the media has been dealing with Trump and they might have woken up by sitting through this court live and watching the proceedings that, you know, maybe everything that the media is saying about Trump is false and Trump isn't this big monster and they shouldn't be indicting him over this, even though they're Democrats. And I think that might have occurred. And, and since the people that are that pushed this, you know, they pushed it off, they canceled mm-hmm. it today. They canceled it because they, they, they saw that the jury people on the jury were. Yeah, they they probably want to put together another grand jury saying, all right, you guys suck. Let's get somebody else in here who's going to give us what we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. that might have happened. We'll find out. Unless, you know, if, if they do indict him, you know what it means? It means the Democrats are just so brainwashed. There's no way to undo it because you should, they should be convinced of sitting, sitting through such a court case about how false and what the media does with any – story that has to do with the Republican, especially with Trump, where they exaggerate the whole thing. But I also wanted to say, by the way, yeah. there's going to be a mugshot of Trump if they do indict him. I think it's going to be, he's not going to be smiling. He's not going to be frowning. He's going to be with his mouth open because there's no way that Trump is going to stop talking. <laughs> right. I agree with that. I was joking around earlier saying, you know, if Trump were actually indicted, I think he'd give a speech as he was being marched in, you know. Uh, but I do think once he was, uh, you know, actually being perp walked, if he got in front of a camera for a mugshot, I do think he'd put the biggest smile ever, like thumbs up the Trump smile, uh, you know, like the official campaign. That would be the official portrait of, of the, the 47th president because – why not? That would be the best irony ever. Alex, thanks for the call, brother. I appreciate you tuning in from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, old listener, faithful listener, listen to me in Long Island, listen to me uh, on on the uh, New York City station, and now he's listening to me national, so I appreciate that. Uh, let us continue with our call straight across America. Let's go to Todd in Atlanta, WGKA. Todd, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, uh, good evening. Yeah, I was... Uh calling about uh, Hunter Biden, but I wanted to say that uh, D.A. Bragg in Manhattan and his uh, grand jury are about as legitimate as Jesse Smollett, and it's <laughs> just a complete fraud. <laughs> oh, that's terrific. Yeah, it, this you know, is and, one of those stories, right? All we need now is for, like, a juror to come out and be like, you know, they were telling, like, the, the two guys, the brothers that staged the whole thing, and they, they turned on Smollett. That's all we need is for somebody from inside of this this uh, charade to come out and go, you know, they're really pushing us to do this. Because uh, I agree with you. This thing is just crazy. I, I'm trying to find a lawyer that says that, other than the one from MSNBC, Weissman, who says that this is actually legit. Um, I'm having a tough time. Even, you know, 
Democrat lawyers are like, yeah, this is a stretch. Van Jones on CNN saying, ah, wait till they indict him in Georgia. Like everybody's indicating this is a stretch. And I think what the previous caller said is probably right in that people are saying, look, I don't want to be a part of this kind of craziness. It doesn't seem legit to me, and I don't want to be a part of it. What do you think, Todd? Yeah, I think so. And just look at the track record. I mean, you know, Stormy Daniels story was about as real as the Steele dossier and just, as, <laughs> um, you know, filthy. It's a trifecta there, right? You got the Steele dossier, Stormy Daniels and uh, Jesse Smollett. Yeah. And, and Jim Comey knew it was fake and linked it to the media to get a uh, special prosecutor, you know, so that that's the organized crime syndicate we're dealing with. And uh, it, it is it is, you know, it is insane on one hand. <laughs> you know, truth is stranger than fiction. And there's That's a lot of truth true. coming out. And uh, you can't have justice without truth. So um, I, and just like everything they've thrown at him is blown up in their face. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, he's not afraid and I'm not afraid. So uh, I'm just waiting to see what happens. But, you know, with uh, Hunter Biden talking about, you know, organized crime, um, you know, th there's a video of Joe Biden bragging to the Council on Foreign Relations about his political racketeering in the Ukraine and withholding American foreign aid. And they could call Obama if they if they didn't believe him. A video of that. And you never see it. You never see it. In the I wish somebody would ask, you know, Kareem. Oh, where he says uh, he's going to get the prosecutor fired. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, leaving in crazy. six hours, and you know, and I mean that's <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a straight up government gangster. Yeah, and, and and it's just you know I can't wait to see Tony Bobulinski and the Mac repairman. I hope they're called before this committee, and I hope they get to tell their stories. Me too, me too, and we've invited John Paul Mac Isaac. We've had him on this program before the the computer repair man. And uh, he, he's not available right now, so I'm guessing it's probably because he's going to appear in front of one of the committees and then do the, the round in media. So uh, we're going to keep our eyes peeled and uh, ears open on that one. Uh, but I do appreciate your call from WGKA in Atlanta. Thanks, Todd. Good to talk to you. Uh, there is more to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. We're going to wrap it up, but there's still time to get in if you would like. We're also going to get to the rest of the calls that are in our call board, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Some say East Palestine, others say Palestine. Some say Regina, some say Regina. I say Massachusetts, and there was a Massachusetts postal worker that was sentenced uh, in Boston in a federal court Wednesday, earlier today, uh, which I know today is tomorrow, but, you know, work with me here. And John Noviello, 61 years old of Nashua, New Hampshire, he was sentenced to one day in prison and three years of supervised release for offering to pay his boss 1000 $750 per kilogram of successfully delivered cocaine, according to the United States Attorney's Office in Massachusetts. Now, listen, this is the United States Postal Service. You know, 
we deliver for you, those guys. <laughs> and he wanted his boss to deliver this cocaine. Now, according to the charging documents, uh, Noviello is a U.S. postal worker in Lowell, Massachusetts. He approached his boss on February 15th, 2022, requesting the boss's assistance in a scheme to divert postal packages suspected of containing cocaine. Mr. Noviello allegedly offered to pay the supervisor $1,750 per kilo of cocaine as long as it was successfully obtained um, and delivered. Fascinating. This is what's going on in, in the world. Now, I don't know if it's Regina. I don't know if it's Regina. I think it's called Canada and not Canada, as KJP says. But I think it's also called Montana, and it's Evergreen. Let's go to Frank in Evergreen, Montana, KOFI. Frank, welcome to the program. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Uh, welcome, Rich. Uh, first, I want to say I live in the county. It's outside of the city limits of Kalispell, and mm -hmm. they don't allow uh, selling of illegal drugs or, or excuse me, the uh, legal marijuana inside the city limits. So they, they set up their shops out in, in the county. And I'm surrounded by these idiots. But mm. you go into these, if you dare go into one of these shops, they photograph your license plate. You have to show your driver's license. So it's all recorded. It's just set up. You're set up like a bowling pin to be knocked down. And they get <laughs> about $20,000 uh, in court costs, as well as uh, drug training and, excuse me, uh, all sorts of social programs and everything. But it could get worse if it was B.C. or Holland. You're, you're talking about British Columbia. Canada are also known by Karine Jean-Pierre as Canada, right? Yes. You could yes. be in a system where you're, you're doing heroin, cocaine, and hashish and whatnot. And it's, uh, after three days of that, you're a real space case and you could be, end up being euthanized. So it's just, it's a, it's a, oh. socialism is a very uh, sick, evil, uh, and uh, the dinos and the rhino Republicans are behind this scheme. And it's, it, it's all a socialist plot. Well, that's a lot to digest, but thank you. Frank, I don't know that we're going to be uh, involuntarily euthanizing anyone in the United States, but crazy to think that that's a thing in Holland and everywhere else that you mentioned. Um, I'm going to do a hard pass on that one. Involuntary euthanasia. I think they call that murder. But, you know, hey, what do I know? <laughs> what do I know? I, I do find it interesting that they uh, if it's true what you're saying, that people go to the dispensaries and get their weed and whatever, and they're and their license plates are recorded and everything's known about them. I, I guess there's no, um, there's no smoking in the car, right? <laughs> uh, because otherwise they're going to be in trouble. Anyway, we will continue with that. But that's the story here um, uh, with this postal guy. And uh, the guy gets one day in jail for this, right? Just think about uh, who does he know? Is he, is he the mystery Biden? I don't know. Cause I can't imagine a world where, uh, you know, you, 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 you do this, you put $850 in a hidden Dunkin' Donuts bag inside your boss's car and think that that's somehow going to be okay. To me, that just doesn't make a ton of sense in my world. Anyway, um, tomorrow, I want to remind you that uh, we're scheduled to have Sean Spicer from Newsmax TV on. He's going to break the news. I'll give you a little hint. Newsmax is back on DirecTV, so kudos to them. Uh, we're also scheduled to have 
a couple of other great guests. The music means I'm not going to be able to tell you who they are, but we will continue this conversation tomorrow. So don't go anywhere. Take care. Good night. And God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, I am Rich Valdez at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. This is America at Night, and I can't wait to do it again with you guys mañana. Don't go anywhere. There's more radio after this. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? Can you pay me more? Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.